Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello all, it's Helen here, the voice of Azu from Rusty Quill Gaming and the host and director of Enthusiasm. Today, I'm here to tell you about The Programme. The Programme audio series is a science fiction anthology podcast set in a world where money, state and God are fused into a single entity. Every episode is a standalone story featuring ordinary people inhabiting this extraordinary world. And for them, it's not the future that is terrifying, but our present. The programme is sometimes funny, sometimes poignant, but it is always smart. Find out more about the programme at www.rustyquill.com or www.programaudioseries.com or search for the programme audio series wherever you listen to your podcasts. Have fun and enjoy the episode. Hi everyone, Ben here letting you know that we're making more space at Rusty Towers and looking for some new sound editors to move in. If you've got the audio skills and think you can make us sound great, then drop us an email at hr at rustyquill.com telling us a bit about yourself and any sound editing experience you might have. We look forward to hearing from you, wherever you may be, UK or abroad, and we're really excited to be able to add more people to our team. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Welcome to the Rusty 
Quill Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Newell, and with me today I have... James Ross, Bryn Monroe, Lydia Nicholas, Ben Meredith. And you're catching us in our break between Season 1 and Season 2, so we will not be gaming. Instead, we will be answering questions. Everything's a game to you, Alex. Only people's lives. We're going to be aing the nonsense out of your cues. That's what we're going to be doing. I'm not sure what that means, but it sounds vaguely threatening. I thought it sounded pretty filthy. <laughs> I thought it sounded powerfully erotic. That's certainly <laughs> the sense in which I intended it. So, basically, it's a mailbag episode, and we have quite a lot of questions that people have been posting online, and we are going to answer as many of them as we can get through. Yep. So, cool. without further ado, these are in order of people who asked, rather than any kind of sensible order, because that would, you know, be sensible. That's not how I roll. The first one's our favourite. <laughs> we don't know what it is yet. That's, <laughs> a, that's a dangerous game to play. <laughs> the last so, one is uh, average, but the... Th- Seventh one? That's rubbish. <laughs> so, first one is from Menacing's Eyebrow. The question is, what's next for Rusty Quill? Do you have any new feeds or grand plans for the brand? I got good news and I got bad news, Menacing Eyebrow. This is a biz dev question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is this is a How question. How is I've your been, portfolio doing? <laughs> I have been answering this mostly to do with like accountancy and mm. costing, but actually, when you ask this, I don't believe we'd actually launch Magnus yet. So, Magnus is a thing <laughs> that went well. <laughs> There's now a horror podcast you can go listen to. Was um, it really asked that long ago? It, th- I think this one genuinely wow. was asked a while ago. Nice. Now. We're really on the ball, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> and given that this isn't going to go out for a while, I mean. Like season two is wrapping to a close, I think. By the time we'll, we'll all have died of the Trump apocalypse, basically, before you even hear the answer to this question. So unfortunately, I, I won't. I will be killing and eating my fellow man. <laughs> so I'm all, afraid all I ask is that you cook me well. Yeah, all right. I'm afraid for this one, we aren't able to go into a huge amount of detail on this one because I'm afraid that's just how business works. We are mainly business, looking... Business, 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 are mainly looking at is moving into some other mediums rather than just making more and more and more podcasts. There will be more content and we do have big plans for next year. Sadly, I can't actually talk about any of them. So it's one of those questions that's, that's an excellent question. I'm not going to answer or address really in any way. Mm-hmm. So I apologise Good that. lead one then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe cut that one. That one might get shunted to a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, just, just an update, audience. Things are going well. Yeah. Yeah. So next question is from Melly Slew. Once you had a basic idea for the setting and type of campaign you wanted to run, how did you get started fleshing out the world? Did you map things out? These are just questions for Alex. Not all of them. So when it comes to once you have the basic idea for a setting and type of campaign, for me, fleshing out the world, I'm really, really visual. So this is going to sound really pathetic. What I tend to do is invent a sort of placeholder hero and just wander around it in my head. And then when I'm doing that, I'm figuring out things. So it'd be stuff like if I'm wandering around and I'm going, how would I get to this place? I'm like, oh, there should probably be some kind of some kind of transport for him to take. Uh, so I should probably fix that. And then it's like, I get the other end and there's nothing to eat. And I should there probably have to be some kind of restaurant. And genuinely, that's a so, way that I sometimes flesh things out. So you basically deal with it like a product. You have your you have your idea and then you create a number of user stories. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yep. Yes, I do. Basically, um, Honestly, God, I knew lot... there's a reason you were the worst. Yeah. <laughs> Alex is an entire agile dev team. <laughs> there is there is a Kanban he board goes for season climbing, two somewhere. He <laughs> likes listening to EDM. You would be amazed how many team adventures Rusty Quill has funded, and the only person who goes on it is me. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Like we're having a whale of a time over here at Team Dev, but. Um, 
yeah, honestly, when it comes to the fleshing the stuff out, that's genuinely an, an exercise that I'll do. Um, another one that I'll do is quite simply, I'll do it kind of modular. So if I have a group playing in other games, I will have them sort of play out in a city for a little while and I'll see how they're playing. And then I'll realize where I need to apply more attention. So if I have a group that really, really likes stealing things, like all of the time, I should probably look more into security and traps and things like that. And I can probably steer clear of like the rules for running an orphanage in the game or whatever. You really found that you needed to know the economics of running a quiche restaurant in an underground. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, how do you revamp a dying restaurant? As a good example. So the things that with the rest of you that I decided I needed to investigate and dev a lot more was obviously everything to do with the cult of Poseidon. That was a thing that was like, it exists. I'll deal with it. One of you's playing a, a Poseidon priest. I should probably get on that. Yeah. I should probably address that. And then obviously that's something that I was diverting time to because I know it's guaranteed to come up. With... I think the uh, idea for that was probably just a sentence saying, big shouty men. Big shouty yeah. That was it. <laughs> um, for Lydia's, uh, for Sasha, I should say, obviously a lot of that was Other London, which was already mm. sort of in the works, but I had to go into the crime politics side. It wasn't a thing I was necessarily going to address, mm. but obviously being playing a character from there, that was a thing that I had to address. For James's character, Bertie, a lot of this was pretty much tied to how the heck would nobility work in this world and all of the magical law. Which, mm -hmm. by the way, that's L-A-W and his thrilling reading, let me tell you. <laughs> that's, that's something that you can all have hours of fun reading up. And then for Hamid, actually a lot of it was to do with the academia of it, economics because of the banking, and some other stuff I'm not going to bring up here because it might turn up later which is kind of on the down low. But yeah, all of those were things where they were there in the world, but I hadn't really gone into any detail. But when you know it's going to come up, you obviously need to start just messing Basically, around. if your magical land doesn't have a functional economic system, you're a bad GM and you should have worked <laughs> harder. Sure, yeah. sure, that's what I said. That's the incredibly supportive thing that I said, yes. <laughs> um, one of the pieces of advice I would say, though, is you don't need to agonise over every single nuance and rule of fun trumps. So if I could make you the most amazingly thought out cult of Poseidon ever that is the most boring thing in the world, that's not good creation for what we're doing. So rule of fun always trumps. I think the best thing is, yeah, no idea is sacred. Um, you shouldn't care how much you think it's great or cool. If it's not appropriate, kill it, bin it, use it later. Just don't force it. Cause... Plus certainly, like, for all of those things that were relevant, I did talk to the player that it was most relevant to. Mm -hmm. And we, I took ideas and bounced things off. It wasn't just me saying, yeah, this is how it is. Be... I was like, what would be really cool for you? Mm -hmm. You want to be collaborative. Absolutely. It's it's a lesson we've learned from improv, as several of us used to be improvisers, is, yes, you know, yeah. accept and build. Yep. There's a follow-on question from Melly Slew, which is, if I can say, which I can, how far in advance are the encounters, story, plots, and events planned, and how much do I plan for the future of this campaign? So, I actually have story and plot lined up till the end of this campaign. I think that, generally speaking, you need to line up broad strokes of a story. Obviously, that's got a lot of wiggle in it, because there are players who can affect change. That's good storytelling, is they have to be able to affect change. So, I have, say at least another season, probably more than that. When it comes to the actual planning, though, how it tends to rock up is I won't have every single nuanced aspect of a encounter plotted out weeks and weeks in advance. What will tend to happen is that I'll know the broad strokes of the story. Then what I'll do is I'll look where we are, and then every three episodes or so, I'll go, OK, given the choices that the characters have made, what is likely to come up? 
and then episode by episode there is a plotted out encounter with what will turn up. I can, I can give an example actually is that I turned up a bit early this recording session and Alex was planning the uh, episode that we're going to record after this. Alex was so... finishing planning the episode. <laughs> That's still planning. <laughs> I, yeah, absolutely. I would say if you're looking at planning your own campaign as well, don't over plan because if you plan more than a session in advance, you will inevitably find your players end up doing something completely different to what you expected they were going yep. to do. I and I've had to throw away huge reams of planning before because my players have gone, oh, it, you want us to turn right? No, we're actually going to turn backwards and walk upside down. I guarantee you that any time you've made a map, it won't get used. And any time you don't have a map, <laughs> they will want to go into infinitely small detail about the nuances of this apartment complex or, or whatever. a notebook, you know, might be useful to have one of those. But Hey, I'm going to throw it out there. There was a solid chance that one of you might have gone, huh, and burned it or just blown up the entire building without finding it. So, you know, I'm not going to commit to writing a book. Well, well some people don't care much about their craft, do they? <laughs> yeah. It's most nice people, to know. Most people have a book inside them. Turns yeah. out we found the exception. Yeah. <laughs> there, is, there is nothing inside me. Basically, <laughs> planning a campaign consists of me sitting in a room, asking other people to do it for me, and then passing it off as my own work. That's that's broadly speaking we, how we it works. Came, when Ben came in earlier, he actually saw him copying this campaign off another GM on the, in the back of the bus. Yeah. <laughs> The final thing as well is, um, despite all this advice, do it comfortable with. People oh, work God, differently. Yeah. I do not plan. I find it restricts me. Some people find that terrifying. So as a, as a tip that I found to speed the process as well, when it's building the actual little encounters, what I will tend to do is I won't say, after they do this, they do this. After they do this, they do this. After they do this, they do this. What I actually do is I'll go, here are 10 things that I think would be cool. So a trap of this type, a person of this character. Obviously, if it's a story crucial, you have to pin it down a bit more but a lot of the time all I'll do is I'll know what notes I need to hit and then I'll riff off what is provided for me if someone insists on going off for a tour around the city that means that I can fit those things in different locations whereas if you tie it all to one location you can end up with them walking past that door and never going in and then yeah like you yeah. say you've wasted it so the next one is from Steely Face he's actually got a few what was the tentacle monster so this question I know having briefly had a back and forth with Steely Face is what was the tentacle monster that Sasha fought oh, underground in the catacombs. That one. The other one, I'm not going to tell you. Yeah. That's yeah, that's yeah. no one gets to know. That's another question that came What's up. What's the other? Oh, the tentacle monster in the sea. Yes. Oh. Yeah. So the tentacle monster underground. Obviously, that there's one. a secret subtle theme throughout. <laughs> I I still reckon it's squid nautilus. <laughs> mm. So the one that was underground was called an otyug, O T Y U G H, I believe. That sounds like something out of a Call of Cthulhu game, not a D&D game. It is a creature that subsists entirely on waste. And I don't mean like excrement. I mean sort of like waste chemicals, things like that. All of the nastiness. Like what Mr. Seeling was putting into yeah, exactly. the, that system. And what I did for extra flavour is there's another creature which is called Gibbering Mouths or something, which a lot of people thought it would be. Mm. It was a flip up between those two creatures because they're both horrible. Mm. Eventually, <laughs> I went with the Ocho because I thought it was more likely to annihilate you all and just use some of the flavour from the gibbering um, mouths. But that's mm -hmm. what I talk about when I'm reskinning, is if you read the Otyug, mechanically, everything that happened, it's all in there. Mm. But flavour-wise, I handled it very, very differently. That could have been just you you know, stumble into an outhouse and there's a monster in there, it runs outside and you immediately annihilate it. Instead, I deliberately couched it in as much fear and 
Also, we just made some a series of terrible, terrible decisions. Really yep, bad decisions. Yeah. Really bad decisions. Really bad decisions, uh, including the decision to roll ones in a row. Yeah. Now, this, <laughs> that was Bryn's decision, not a party decision. Now, this ties in quite nicely to the I'll next question. Again, guys. Good, yeah. good. What was good. a time that the players completely surprised you, approaching or resolving a counter in, an encounter in a way you didn't expect? So this is a question I'm going to put to you guys. Literally always. Is, every single what time. time can you remember, any of you, when where Bertie it's been really shouted... obvious that I have been completely thrown by what oh, has right. been done? When I stabbed that woman in the back. Yeah. If, if anything... Byron's sister. Absolutely. Um, you were so angry. <laughs> you were hiding it. You were never not polite, but you were really frustrated. And this is what we're saying about... work went into that character that never came yeah. This is what we're saying about planning. Don't oh, yeah. plan it, because they'll just crit your... So, so, yeah. Actually, there you go, yeah. And I genuinely think that you took more pleasure than you should have in the fact that I forgot to look through her pockets as we were <laughs> questioning yeah. her. I didn't get any of the nice things. Oh yeah, because if you, because if, you were like, you know, and it, it was again. It was like it was you're never not polite. It was never not, but it was just like, <laughs> and then when I forgot to see if she had any fun magical things to see, you're like, oh, oh what oh, a terrible, oh, terrible oh, shame! How uh, awful! You how awful you for you! Yeah, you yes. can see anything from the knife marks in. <laughs> Other ones for me that came up. Bertie shouting down a right. I was about to say that one. Yeah, yeah that, that, yeah. that seemed to be come out of nowhere. That one came way. from nowhere. I mean, I actually find it harder to think inside the box. So, <laughs> you know. so generally speaking, outside of combat, anytime a natural one or a natural 20 comes up, that's a kink. And not in a problem way, but that's an immediate left or an immediate right an turn. An opportunity story. for storytelling. Yeah. Sure, that. It's a teachable moment. <laughs> um, one that really threw me, actually, was how badly you all got messed up by the Otjug. Because I banked on, you know, maybe hindering you a little bit with cave-in and so on. And the fact that you got absolutely trounced immediately before that encounter really started just by the cave-in on its own. Oh, yeah. That yeah. meant, and you didn't have any prep in place and things like that, and basically you managed to, without me doing a lot of it, you managed we to stack the, the odds. the CR of that you encounter. You stacked the odds so hard against you that a CR encounter that was much lower than what you were engaging with became much, much harder. And there was a point in that where I was going, I may actually lose everyone here, which mm. was a bit concerning. I've come to save you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And also, I'm not a fan of Deus Ex Machina, but I am a big fan of Diabolus Ex Machina. <laughs> I don't have a problem with something coming in and saving you from death if it's saving you for something worse. <laughs> Basically, what I don't, I'm not a big fan of, you know. Is, is that what Bertie did? Bertie came along and saved us from death. Yeah, his, <laughs> his, his continued presence is punishment. <laughs> actually relevant ties into the last thing. Uh, the rule of fail forward. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. If the party yeah. completely screws up, advance the plot, don't just say no. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, there are very few situations where a failure leads to a complete stall. Yeah. Very, very few. And there are very easy ways to get around it. A good example of actually a stall is when you were chasing the Parisian man. That was another one that threw me of how badly you did. Across the rooftops. He was, he was intended as a very sort of minor, flavorful yeah. interaction. He wasn't even a combatant. He was just a, a guy. <laughs> <laughs> and he absolutely... Well, to I, be fair... It was the, the roof. It was the yeah, gap. Yeah, the roof rectus. Geography rectus. I don't absolutely. think he actually did any damage to us. Like, he we did missed no all direct the bottles damage. and stuff. He so did it was no just direct damage. Through the thing did. on me. Did I admit... Did he yeah, he he no everything. direct damage to any of you. Here's a question then. How many bones have I thrown the players? Was there a time I fudged the numbers to keep the campaign going for the sake of the podcast? Have I ever fudged the numbers to help players in previous campaigns? Well, 
first quickly, I'm glad that the audience is also picking up on Alex's catchphrase. Yes, yes, what it's. I will throw you a bone here. Oh, it's yeah. it's a Every verbal episode. tick, <laughs> and also it's a good sign of how badly awry the story's going. If I'm throwing you a bone and then throwing you a bone and then throwing you a bone enough to make a skeleton, it's because you're so far off piste yeah. and I'm having to grab you and pull you back. Now I have never fudged a dice roll. However, I am a big proponent of what Ben was saying. Fail forward. Mm. At no point have I ever seen a ten and gone. It's an eight. Ooh. What I have done is gone. It's a one. You don't die. This alternate thing happens, or you know, you yeah. don't get set on fire. This alternate thing happens. Mm. Rarely, in fact, mainly because I set out at the start and warned all of the players and the audience. If you go back and listen, that I'm not going to be doing that. Like I'm not going to just be pulling punches all the time because it makes for bad listening. Mm. Every single session. I have a contingency set up for one of the party to be dead by the end of the session. We've been smushed multiple times. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. I'm going to move on to the next question then. Mm -hmm. What did I draw inspiration from for the setting? This is one just for me, sadly. Honestly, for this one, there's equal parts. I ran the campaign I'd wanted to run for a while, so it had been bubbling in the, in the pot for a while. And another thing that I'll do is... There's a phrase which someone said to me once, and I can't remember who, it's a quote from someone, and it's that you have to fill the tanks, which is that you can't just generate and generate content and generate content and generate content if you don't also consume it, and that there's an important part of the creative process is taking time, stopping creating stuff, and just engaging with other things that people are making. Mm. So the where I've drawn inspiration from this isn't like there's a specific book or anything, it's that I went through a period of seeing an enormous amount of things, films, shows, stuff like that, and went... Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Oh, this is cool. Yeah. That's cool. Mr. Ceiling was actually prompted originally by one of the Mechanism shows. Mm. I saw one of their shows and went, oh, there's something interesting. I wouldn't mind putting a spin on uh, that. The Mechanism, for those who don't know, is a band of which the frontman is Johnny Sims, who also runs our sister podcast, The Magnus Archives. Yeah, mm. and they do sort of narrative story-based music. There's storytelling immortal space pirates. Yeah, that's yeah. a better way of putting it. Yeah. Um, and I guarantee if you're listening to this, you will enjoy that. Mm. But there's a good example of one where I didn't go in going, I should harvest this. Yeah, And but, it's, it's you know, stealing from one person is plagiarism, stealing from lots is research. It's, you know, it's, <laughs> there's obvious influences of GLaDOS. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Mr. Ceiling. I think uh, one of the things I saw in the setting as a whole is the influence of... Eberron, which is a D&D &D yeah, 3.5 setting, but it's by no means the only one, It's mm -hmm. but there's elements from that, like for example, trains powered by lightning elementals. There's very little similarity, but there's enough for me to see an influence, yeah. but there's also clearly lots of other things you've been influenced by and woven together, and that's I think that's what makes it such a rich setting, is combining mm -hmm. hundreds of different influences, not having just two or three and kind of yeah actually as a warning for people who are running games i strongly advise you not to just see a thing and go that would make a good campaign and not looking at other things or at least considering it heavily for the simple reason i've seen plenty of people have gone i love this book i want to do this book as a campaign and then what happens when your players go in a completely different route to the book yeah. and, and, also, and things like that, you can fall into traps there. If players also know the source material and try and exploit it. Yeah, absolutely. The the absolutely. So it's actually sort of insurance using as many sources as possible, um, yeah. as well as just for the flavour of it. Still on Steely Face, this is for everyone. If you could have an evening with any of the NPCs that have appeared in the campaign, who would it be and what would you do? 
They're all just so memorable. And for goodness sake, Oscar Wilde. No. Like, for goodness sake, that would be some good parties. Like, <laughs> but he's so like, <laughs> really, not really. He's it's, like he's a, he's a bit creepy to to Bertie. But not, I, it's not creepy if it's reciprocated. Well, I guess. <laughs> Well, it's creepy doing that kind of level of flirting in front of lots of other people. Oh, that's true. When From it's point making... zero as well. Yeah, yeah. It's really important. Is this a question for us as people or for our characters? Oh, yeah, yeah. I believe this is for you as people. Okay. Yeah, Oscar Wilde. Yeah. Like, uh, Bryn like... would love to go out on for a party with Oscar Wilde. That would be amazing. Uh, but like... that version of Oscar yeah, Wilde. Even yeah, that one. even that like, one. Okay. I mean, rather than go for the real one. Probably, a... probably not that version of Oscar Wilde. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he, he's he's fun, and uh, I imagine that in him trying to like be as dramatic and impressive to Bertie as he possibly could, if he was responsible for taking a bunch of people out for a night out, he would feel like he really needed to give you an incredible night out. <laughs> and that kind of over-performative thing, that'd be amazing. So you would you would go on a night out as long as it was organised by Wilde, rather yeah, well, than just well, with him to like an arbitrary party? I know one where he felt the need to Impress. be an extraordinary host. Okay. Yeah, it'd be a bit disappointing if we just like went to laser quest with him or something <laughs> <laughs> I feel that would be a missed opportunity see bizarrely out of everything that everyone said so far that's the one I'm like ooh yeah. laser quest with Oscar <laughs> Wilde with Oscar Wilde bowling with Byron and <laughs> what would you do then James with an NPC what would you do and where would you go and croquet with Colgate say again croquet with croquet Colgate, with Colgate. <laughs> yeah wherever it is has to be alliterative I don't don't care otherwise grub with Greg oh, grub with Greg yeah I, I, I like Mid's Oscar Wilde idea I think also Byron could be quite fun though we've never heard from him directly <laughs> I think because he was unconscious he was unconscious he's been unconscious a lot wake up Byron come on going to party come on wake up Byron wake up wake up Byron Byron Byron's having a party Byron. all of his Byron. right now Byron Byron <laughs> Byron so, Ben hello who would you go um, away with and where would you go what would you do I'd probably say uh, Mr. Ceiling. Mr. Ceiling? Uh, the chance to talk to an actual Turing AI. What would you do? Uh, probably a role-playing game. Actually, <laughs> really interesting. Would Mr. Ceiling be a player? Or yes. would he be the, the... He'd be the player. Nice. I'm trying to describe uh, how to be a GM to a like a childish you, AI. He'd be amazing as a GM because he could just give you a perfect illusion of the campaign that you're playing. As long as it wasn't horror, that would be, be quite fun. He'd be great at voices. They would be great at voices. <laughs> He'd do this character called Alex Newell. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, on second thoughts. Oh, that's very appealing. And on that down note, I think we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back. So, continuing with our questions, we have a few from Watch for Rainbows. I like that name. Oh, there's one! <laughs> Tree! Ah! So, it's too diverse! This is slightly recapping a question we've already dealt with, but focusing on a little bit of a more specific thing. How much thought do you put into what the environment of each scene looks like? and how much you make up on the spot. So the example she uses, when the gang were chasing the overweight Parisian man. So this is more to do with like mapping, I'd think, than, you know, story and things like that. The answer is sometimes yes, sometimes no. What I will tend to do is I will know, broadly speaking, what I want that encounter to have in terms of environmental factors. So I knew that I wanted the Parisian man encounter to involve the rooftops, because you hadn't had that yet. And for movement between the rooftops to have varying degrees of ease and part of that is in just knowing because I've done it a lot balancing you make the easy route the lengthiest if it's a chase you make the most risky the shortest obviously and that's where you do the balance what I would say is I rarely will do a map laying it out and every floor and every nuance like that unless there is some kind of maze element or something similar mm -hmm. if people are having trouble visualizing it that's very very different and then obviously I'll draw it out to aid. But otherwise, for the most part, I'll know what the environment is in my head and only pin down the bits that will be engaged with mechanically. You will also want to allow uh, room for improvisation. Like if, you know, one of your players says, you know, I want to pick up a thing from the floor, you almost always just want to say, yes, that thing is now there yeah. and you have picked it up. Because it's it rewards creativity, it rewards Absolutely. like interacting with the environment. You know, you don't have to have said there is a chandelier in the room. If a player then goes, I swing on the chandelier, suddenly there was a chandelier there all along. Yeah, the, the chances of you saying no to the chandelier is <laughs> there's a reason that you're saying no. I think because most, that's the most fun option. Most rooms are improved by addition of a chandelier. <laughs> like, let's... The lower the ceiling, the it's better. It's quite yeah. hard in this room, of course, with the low ceiling and the massive candles. That's, <laughs> that's why my hair is so yeah. short yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> on fire. It's getting singed. Yeah. There is one exception to everything that I just said, which is Kew Gardens. Kew Gardens was actually the first dungeon that you all encountered mm. in the sense of like Dungeons & Dragons dungeon. And mechanically, I think of a dungeon as one big complicated encounter 
I think of it as a level, like a, like a computer yeah. game level, rather than thinking of it as the open story world. Mm -hmm. So the way I tend to do it is I sandbox the story world, but if you were in a, a tight environment like that, that's the one time where I will have to plan it out. And one of the things that you'll notice from that is it's set up in a very game designy way. The fact that the second that you beat the last boss, there was an immediate out for you, so you didn't have to retrace steps, things mm -hmm. like that. If you're doing a dungeon and you've spent ages on it and you're worried that they're going to skim past it, once they go in, point of no return. The door closes, there is yeah. something. Parisian Catacombs was one of them. Mm. Mm. That cave-in wasn't actually there to annihilate all of you. It was to pot-commit you That to... was just a happy side effect. That was a happy side effect. The mm. fact that you managed to, to annihilate yourselves with it, that was just bonus. Mm. Another question from Watch for Rainbows. What does editing an episode consist of? Uh, How do you decide which bits to take out and which to leave in? Screaming, crying, screaming, crying, pressing a button. Don't stop it. Screaming. Don't stop it. Rustling noise. Now, as you may noise. Gurgle, 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 squelch. Uh, <laughs> stop it. Stop it. Now, for various reasons. Swear words, swear words, <laughs> swear words, swear words. Editing is a bit of a nightmare for me. It is, it is my punishment for whatever I do to the players. And so with the editing, a lot of it is cutting out ambient noise that shouldn't be there, things like everything that people just did. Mm -hmm. Every time someone sneezes, coughs and splutters, I cut that for your listening pleasure. I and hope then, you appreciate it. And then reuse it for monsters. Yep, obviously. Or it goes into Magnus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when it comes to content, I have had people asking a lot, which is why this question's here. Why do you cut stuff at all? Why do you not just include everything? Things like that. There's a few reasons. We're not that funny. We're very boring. Yeah. One of which Dull is rule, rule of fun. Who tends to talk over each other all the time. I know, I know. <laughs> really, really Very rarely talk over people. At the same time. No, I just keep going, yeah. No, help me. Concurrent. I agree with everything that was just said. <laughs> so one of the ones that comes up a lot is... So do I. And have you thought as well about <laughs> how we repeat things? <laughs> 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 so... How long do you think that goes to the for? Yeah, and uh, yeah, do you, have you how thought about how much we repeat things? Yeah, how many times can we do this before we just cancel the episode? We I am going oh, yeah, to include things, this things in the well. episode as an example of the kind of <laughs> <laughs> This is the kind of thing I cut. Interruption. <laughs> Deviation. <laughs> Wait, is this just a minute? <laughs> yeah, but just 60 of them. <laughs> so, what tends to get cut are items which are funny, but kind of off point will make it into bloopers. Items that are funny and relate strongly to the story and what is happening, stay. Massive rule discussions into nuances that are not relevant for listeners, don't. So we have spent ages discussing things that people are buying mm -hmm. and the mechanics thereof and the nuances of this specific rule and difficult is it terrain. Is sourced? And when we produce a DVD with extras, there will be just commentary tracks, which is me describing every rule <laughs> in explicit detail. And no one else will ever have to suffer through this. So in an hour of my slurpy coughing. Noise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, no. No. What we tend no. to do. Like, no. That scene with Wild went like. Oh. That's the kind of joke that doesn't make it in as well. So some of the times there'll be anything that is um, a bit over the line. Over, yeah, anything over the line. <laughs> but honestly, like dis deciding what's over the line is kind of arbitrary anyway. We're going to be totally friendly, friendly, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So may I respectfully request that we cut what James actually said and just slam straight into our reaction and you saying that's exactly. I'm just, we can't. <laughs> I'm just going to bleep it. I'm Fantastic. just going to bleep it. Um, so broadly speaking, when people ask, oh, you're losing really, really good content, I promise you you're not. No. You're, you're missing, trash. You're missing all of the stuff that you come here to skip until we then go, right, we should 
summarise that in a sentence, here's a sentence. Also, the in-jokes about our lives. Yeah, yeah which are complete, I cut all of them because they just have no relevance. Like, I mean, you know, and, and, we'll, we'll say, mm. oh, remember that party we were at? Absolutely. And like, golly, good birthday. Because, you know, <laughs> despite appearances, we actually maintain the illusion of friendship. So that... Has... I think some other people maintain actual friendships. I myself don't, but I understand it as a life choice. Yeah, I understand, <laughs> understand in theory why people might. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it's useful to have Some an ally have against your enemies. I understand that. Yeah. It's, it's and relevant. sometimes they can pick up tasks if you forget them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to move on to the next question. What, what are friends if not unpaid labour? <laughs> That's certainly how I see it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How do you create varied NPCs? I open this to the whole table rather than just me because all of you at some point have been involved in storytelling and it's basically how do you make a good character? I put them in little outfits. Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, give them silly names. Yeah, let your players name them. It's always a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think as well is the... <laughs> yeah, um, the, the twitch in his eye. <laughs> uh, it's good. Mr. Seedling. I think it's supposed to be Voltron. <laughs> 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 pronouncing exactly like that <laughs> scary thing <laughs> um, I think the thing as well is that uh, whenever you come up with an NPC uh, compare them to yourself and if uh, they're quite a lot like you ask yourself why and if there's no compelling reason change it that's yeah it's a very very good point actually and that's for writing anything <laughs> <coughs> video games <coughs> is it a compelling reason I just I like myself a lot Cool. I mean, Great. that could be a compelling reason. Yeah, true. Well, now, imagine like a game, now imagine playing a game where every single NPC was me. Being Alex Newell. That would not be a <laughs> great <laughs> game. That would be a poor game. Being John Malkovich, the RP game. <laughs> yeah. Who are you playing, James? John, John Malkovich. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, a few sort of practical tips when it comes to playing the NPC. Here's a good tip that I have used multiple times. Unless you are an expert, you will be bad at impressions. If you're struggling to come up with a voice, do an impression of a famous person. No one will know who your impression is because it's so bad. <laughs> and then you have a unique voice. Yeah. I have done this multiple times. No one has spotted the impressions. Nah. It is a flawless system. I have never thought of that. I don't do that. Yeah. I just make up voices. No, no, no. I always, where possible, do an impression of a famous person, but so badly no one can see. That's incredible. I mainly just vary um, the words I say and how I speak as opposed to my voice when I'm uh, GMing. Um, when I'm a player, I always seem to have to do a voice. Sure. Um, I <laughs> use a voice as a player for yeah. to separate our character and player. Here, okay, here you go. Here's one of the bad examples. The voice of the head of the Court of Poseidon that you encountered is my Christopher Lee. There what? you go. <laughs> I told you, bad impressions. That's it's... a rubbish Brian, Brian Blessed at best. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you need to be doing this. It's yeah. a great Fair tip. Enough. Just I've... never take any voice acting um, lessons. Yeah. I mean, I've never done any MPE-seeing, really. I don't think I have any time in this podcast. That's the only time I would have I mean, done. you've really. developed but in it, in Jaws it, yeah, experience. It's true. But then I've, I've never really narrated part of going... Another little jacket. But, um, you know, from an improv point of view, like, you can fairly easily generate a character, like, if you only need them for, like, NPC purposes, uh -huh. using a technique called the clingy priest, which mm. is you have an adver uh, not adverb, an adjective and a profession, put them together. If you want to create something slightly more interesting, um, think of, uh, if you've got an accent in mind, think of traits that are associated with that particular uh, nationality and then invert them. Then you've yeah. got an instantly interesting character that is non-stereotypical. So inverting is a thing that I've used quite a lot mm. when you think about it. The Jailer is a, was an absolutely classic inversion. Mm. Is I just took what is the absolute stereotypical Jailer, 
completely invert it in mm. a lot of ways. I didn't do it in all ways, but in a lot of ways. Another one that I will do quite a lot is, I, I call it holding up the mirror. So present players with a character, right? That character, obviously the first time you do it, isn't gonna be very fleshed out, but the players will react to it. Home in on whatever they react to most, and in improv, you call it like pouring petrol on that fire. You just find the thing that gets a reaction, a positive reaction in the fun sense. So obviously, if someone's going, that's wildly offensive, don't exaggerate yeah. that. <laughs> but And then you just you, you, you push it harder. So a good example is Oscar Wilde. Mm. He was meant to be what he came out as in that first session, which was very sort of in your face. Mm. However, he riffed completely from then on on what other people feed him. And the fact that Zolf fed him, I really don't like you, you just feed off that. Now There's now an animosity for that. The fact that Hamid was playing the sort of polite but restrained thing is, well, the way that I do that is I have someone who is neither of those two things. Like, pr you riff off what people give you. Mm. The Doom guy is a good example of that. Is Yeah, he was the Doom guy, but then, of course, Bertie insisted on rocking up and hitting things and smashing things and ordering people off a train. And, and dooming people dooming further. Dooming people mm. further. So you just... You just take it and run with it. People will give you ammunition to use for that character and just leave that character open to do that and it'll help you a lot. So we got two last questions. How old are your main characters? Oh, that's Jeremy character sheet. <laughs> I'm genuinely, I think uh, it's Hamid is 23 or 24, early 20s, basically. Yeah, Bertie should have been in the same year as uh, Hamid at university. I've generally thought of him as being sort of mid to late 20s. Yeah, but I mean... He may have been held back. Held back. back. Every okay. single one of us yeah. made the same yeah, but the same school time. didn't take you 12 years. I, I would also point I out... I could simply afford more schooling. <laughs> <laughs> I, allowed, I was doing very well as the head of uh, rugby and they didn't want to lose me, is what I was told. <laughs> I, I would also point, point out that... Um, this is in the pre-national education era, and there was no standardised standardised age. Oh, Absolutely, yeah. like you could easily have had people at university studying together who were wildly different ages. Yeah, I mean, you still do. Go on then, Sasha. How old is Sasha? Uh, I've always had her down as twenty-two, twenty-three. I wanted to have her an interesting sort of, if not vulnerable, then a very changeable point, like transformative. Yeah, and that kind of, you know, that I would have needed another like arc of experience yeah mm. which would have i suppose be possible but i quite like coming to the thing with someone being like i've just had all of these interesting yeah. experiences and now i've been forced out into the world in a yeah. new way and that yeah. kind of makes sense as a sort of 21 22 uh -huh. year old thing yeah it was the same with hamid um you know i wanted him to be quite naive and i wanted him to be having to find his way in the world for the very first time coming from an amazingly yeah. privileged yeah way. absolutely and uh, and you have to remember as well that as a non-human ages don't mean quite the same things mm -hmm. for example halflings take a little bit longer to mature mm. than sure. humans and live a bit longer so twen a 23 24 year old halfling is more like a 17 or 18 year old mm. human actually yeah. yeah yeah i sort of wanted to make bertie older and crustier but um i brought him younger so he could be at university with hamid it's an interesting thing to have if not like it's just to be able to come to it and not have so much backstory. Yeah. They just like, you know, like as as someone that is 29, I've had about five different careers. So. And and moved, lived in lots of places. You, you know, we've all mm. moved around yeah. about, you know, we've all changed careers quite a few times and done lots of different things. And it's like, that's great, but it begins to sound just like, oh no, I did that. 
Yeah. <laughs> Much like Zolf. Yeah, yeah so yeah. I'm 50. <laughs> uh, but first of all, because dwarves are much longer lived, yeah. so mm-hmm. that's probably comparable to about a human at late 20s, 30. Sure. Um, but it's also because he has quite a lot of backstory. Yeah, he's done absolutely. A, he's done quite a few things for quite a few years. Yeah. Um, and it's not, as I say, been like 20 different things, but he's done one thing for five years, one thing for five, you know, and it's it's quite spread out. So I just wanted to make sure that he had enough time on the earth to make his kind of attitude and what he'd done yeah, make yeah. sense because it's like oh i'm 30 but i've done all of these things like you were very busy mm-hmm. you know it makes more sense if he's a bit older it's okay. also worked really nicely having that contrast of ages within mm. the party i think mm. as well and the last one why do they speak gutter french when trading in other london as in what is the history of that i think that so sasha would be talking really guttery english mm-hmm. in other london as well mm-hmm. but because she'd spent a couple of years topside yep she just comes out with quite passable English, but with some slang. Um, and lots and lots of rhyming slang, of course. Um, <laughs> which is, in a way, like a parody. Because I hadn't ever done a long-running campaign before. The uh-huh. longest I'd ever done was sort of three ca- three episodes. I thought, what is going to be the easiest thing for me to maintain? Mm-hmm. And in a weird way, that sort of thing is what happened with, to my voice growing up in East London and then mm-hmm. like going to a posh university. And so my accent sort of changes... Which is why I actually I've found I really struggled to separate the accents of like me versus the character. I mean, from the story side, like yeah, following yeah. on from that, the trading links is a thing, obviously. And part of it is other London's such a melting pot. Like that was the point mm. of it is it was the melting pot that Upper London really wasn't. Yeah. And similarly with Paris, you've only ever actually really encountered most of the sort of well-to-do areas, mm. and so that kind of duality matters and in yeah there's a, there's lots of trade routes between other london and paris that are just not official trade routes yeah. people find a way to get by don't get me wrong there are also like gutter egyptian down in other london and basically every species mm. and language are going to be cropping up but obviously some areas are going to be more cosmopolitan than others and other london just happen to attract a certain type of person in with barrett's presence there and everything and i suppose it's something that i have to flag while doing that because i can't speak bad french so i have to keep saying this is this is what they're doing whereas the rest of the time it's kind of assumed that everyone is everyone that speaks french is being understood as french Mm -hmm. so then it becomes kind of a thing and you keep reading cockney rhyming slang off your phone (laughs) (laughs) accept and build (laughs) keep building essentially a tower of babel and then fall off the top (laughs) (laughs) hooray improv so i think at this point we should probably wrap up there and we've still got a bunch of questions because we just we just like diving in don't we Mm. um so we'll do this over a second episode as well And we will see you then. So that's bye from all of us. Bye. Bye. Rusty Quill Gaming is a podcast distributed by RustyQuill.com and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial International License. Today's episode was recorded and produced by Alexander J. Newell. To comment on episodes, make donations, and view links, images, videos, and show notes, visit rustyquill.com. Rate and review us on iTunes. Visit us on Facebook. Tweet us on Twitter at TheRustyQuill. Or email us at mail at rustyquill.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Rusty Quill Gaming Podcast. I'm your host today, Alex Newell, and with me I have... 
Uh, Q. <laughs> what? <laughs> Q. <laughs> Bonnie McGrew. Oh, 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 oh no, I was going to be A. Oh, I was just The new double act. Uh, Chalk and cheese detective pairing. Q and A. <laughs> One's got all the questions, the other only answers. And then they fire Q because he's not he's helping. The they solve everything. You solve nothing, Q. <laughs> what you do you just, mean by you that? Raise more questions. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. Wait, so, that's not a question. So I already failed. <laughs> no. So my problem was there were at least five possible references you could be making by saying Q. And, yet and you all of them were Star Trek. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Can we just isolate that noise that Lydia just made? As, as just a, an outtake in and of itself? It's quite, quite a nice ringtone, really, isn't it? <laughs> my favourite one of Alex's verbal tics, he doesn't do this on the podcast so much, but when we're hanging out in other... Uh, Situations. <laughs> that pause is amazing. <laughs> Where are you guys hanging out? Another. We were talking about kinks and bones. Situations. So. <laughs> when we're hanging out, mostly playing magic, he will start about half of his sentences with question, and, and then, then ask then a question. Oh, obviously, are you HK forty seven? Look, I, I, it's it's good what? design. I'll be very clear. Come in on, hey. Uh, there'll be loads of you once you get that. Nice I, got, I got that, yeah. One, of the, best yeah. One of the best ever games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Philistines. Question, so. statement, interaction. Yeah, like, there you go. Um, I'm, I'm but the, the, is the intonation he does it with, I'm at a certain age where the only thing that ever pops into my head afterwards is question, tell me what you yes. think about me. Yes. Which is why I'm unlearning that tick. <laughs> Shuffle, oh, I thought like you really is. wanted a high five. <laughs> oh, right, well, I can give you a high yeah, five. Yeah, unpaid labour high five. Yeah, brilliant. Woo! Internship. <laughs> oh, here's another thing that gets cut, and I'll put into bloopers. Oh, God, really? This is going to be unlistenable, so I'm really... People adjusting mics. Really mm. dicking about There's an enormous this. amount of that. Because of the mics we use are completely hands-free and leave the table free, rustling happens. Sorry, right, this is this is a special edition. They're, they're hovering drones. Stop it. Stop yeah. it. I know how bad that will I sound know. when I edit. I know. Um, okay, next question. Oh, next. God. Oh, ah. I got it just right. No, no, no. That's not, not going to make it. I'm not going to do that to people. Oh, that's genuinely horrible. Please, put, What's look, wrong put with it your is, face? Put it as the last that. outtake so somebody can just go, if they hear it, just take their phone and throw it away. No, because then like... I need trigger warner, warnings and <laughs> all kinds of things. The trigger warnings, sculpting. No, it's the yeah. trigger warnings contains James Ross. <laughs> Boom. Whoa. <laughs> Mic drop. Yeah. Mic carefully picked up yeah. with a stroke. Right, I'll convert bull strength into a cure moderate burns. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> <Zing>. <laughs> I'd say you're on five, but that's just going to bring more of this, isn't it? Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello all, it's Helen here, the voice of Azu from Rusty Quill Gaming and the host and director of Enthusiasm. Today, I'm here to tell you about The Program. The Program audio series is a science fiction anthology podcast set in a world where money, state and God are fused into a single entity. Every episode is a standalone story featuring ordinary people inhabiting this extraordinary world. And for them, it's not the future that is terrifying, but our present. The programme is sometimes funny, sometimes poignant, but it is always smart.
Find out more about the programme at www.rustyquill.com or www.programmaudioseries.com or search for the Programme Audio Series wherever you listen to your podcasts. Have fun and enjoy the episode.